0: U.S. businessman Dan Friedkin takes Redbird over.
1: has recently made waves.
2: MLB and NBA appear to be the lead. Ed Sheeran
0: becomes Ipswich shirt. Saudi Prince adds French side Chateau to football. NFL football.
2: finalises new 11-year media
0: rights deal with Amazon. N.I.L. Name, image and likeness. A term certainly trending in the United States over the last 10 days, based on what is essentially an overhaul of the amateurism model and the limits on commercial opportunities to college athletes. I'm Rhys Lenarduzzi, and this is Sportonomic, a podcast brought to you by Athlon Partners. In this episode, I look at the recent legal and commercial developments in American college sport. A ripple effect of sorts that comes after the NCAA decided to suspend rules that prohibited college athletes from commercialising their name, image and likeness. A consequence of years of campaigns, debates and pressures, and a United States Supreme Court case, as well as new laws coming into effect in several states around the US. My first guest today is sports, entertainment and IP lawyer, and the founder of Heitner Legal, Darren Heitner. Darren has been in the epicenter of these recent events and offers incredible insights. My second guest is Chris Cabot, NFL agent, attorney, and the CEO of Steinberg Sports and Entertainment. He negotiated the largest deal in sports history, Patrick Mahomes' 10-year, $450 million extension with the Kansas City Chiefs. In the recent SCOTUS case of NCAA v. Alston, in a jarring opinion, Justice Brett Kavanaugh addressed this concept Of the tradition of college sports justifying the continued practice of banning and blocking a college athlete from monetizing. He said one cannot justify the NCAA's decision to build a massive money-raising enterprise on the backs of student athletes who are not fairly compensated. Nowhere else in America can businesses get away with agreeing not to pay their workers at a fair market rate. Justice Kavanaugh signed off with the NCAA is not above the law. I asked Darren Hayner about the latest legal developments.
1: Well, there's quite a lot going on in college sports and name, image and likeness in particular. But I'd say the biggest thing that happened in the past few weeks is the Supreme Court in the United States decided the case of N.C.A. v. Alston, which was specifically about whether or not there could be a cap on academic related benefits for athletes. But its effects go well beyond that. And the Supreme Court in a 9-0 decision decided that the NCAA was violating antitrust law by placing restrictions, not allowing schools to provide as much money as they wanted to athletes with regard to their academic-related benefits. Uh, the concurring opinion by Justice Kavanaugh, which is merely persuasive and not binding, was even more strongly worded than the majority opinion issued by Justice Gorsuch. And he went on to ask whether or not any restrictions whatsoever should be placed by the NCAA on college athletes with regard to any rights that they may have and wondered whether athletes at some point in time in the future should be able to basically be in business with the universities and receive a portion of the revenues that they are entitled to. He talked about how this could get resolved in litigation. It doesn't have to. It could be resolved by legislation or collective bargaining. But while name, image and likeness was not explicitly mentioned at all in either the majority opinion or the concurring opinion, the effects of the Alston decision has bled into name, image and likeness. Just days prior to many states having their name, image and likeness laws go live, the NCAA changed its long lasting policy to prohibit college athletes from benefiting from their names, images and likenesses commercially. But instead of putting in very restrictive measures, it decided to basically take a hands off approach and say that if you're in a state where there is a NIL law, you will be bound by those, by that law, by those provisions. If not, then we're leaving it up to the schools to decide and enforce their own respective policies. The caveats to that is that the NCA did decide that in order for there to be an effective deal, there must be quid pro quo an athlete must be providing something in exchange for the money received. Uh, The athletes cannot receive any sort of benefits or bonuses based on on on-field or on-court performances. And no money can be provided to an athlete in exchange for the athlete enrolling in or staying at a university.
0: Of course, These legal developments don't derive from thin air and substantial pressures and campaigning resulted in the events that are the subject of this podcast. The NCAA versus Alston case essentially follows a previous case, O'Bannon versus NCAA, a case that ultimately found that the NCAA profits from the NIL of college athletes. The case dealt with the NCAA's restrictions on college athletes, with athletes unable to be provided non-cash compensation for academic related purposes like internships or even computers. The NCAA continued to argue throughout that these regulations were in place to prevent the appearance that student-athletes were being paid to play or treated as professional athletes. Lower courts had already decided that these restrictions were in violation of competition laws and the Supreme Court affirmed in NCAA v. Alston. I asked Darren to expand on the lead-up to that case.
1: The decision reached by the Supreme Court and NCAA v. Alston was really a byproduct of what happened much earlier in the case many years ago. Initially, athletes sued the NCAA to try to get rid of all restrictions whatsoever, but it was narrowed to only academic-related expenses, and the Supreme Court did not feel comfortable going beyond that specific issue because that was what was agreed upon by the parties as they submitted to the Supreme Court. I was not at all surprised by the decision. Perhaps I was somewhat surprised by the fact that it was unanimous. 9-0 is somewhat rare for all Supreme Court justices, both conservative and liberal, to agree on a specific issue. But I think at its core, the realization is that the NCAA is a cartel. It colluded in a way to restrict competition, to restrict the opportunity to benefit by a select class of individuals. And there's not some other market for these individuals to participate in by and large. And so it's really a very technical antitrust argument that I'm not surprised
0: the players ended up prevailing on. Darren has written extensively and appeared in the media regularly on this topic of name, image and likeness. Additionally, Darren has had an influence on recent changes and represented athletes with NIL Matters. I asked him to tell us about his personal involvement and he makes a worthwhile point of the state of Florida's influence on recent events.
1: Yeah, I have been personally involved in the change in the landscape of name, image, and likeness. Uh, it started back in 2019 when I was asked by a Florida House representative to assist in the creation and promotion of a piece of legislation that would change uh, the landscape in the state of Florida. We had looked at the state of California, which was a first mover on this subject, passing a bill to go effective in 2023, and one of the first questions we asked ourselves was, was there a justification to wait that long? And is there any reason why we should not have an earlier effective date? Originally, we tried to push our legislation in the state of Florida to be effective July 1, 2020. Ultimately, before it was passed and signed by Governor Ron DeSantis, it was changed to July 1, 2021. But Florida is, is to credit for this wave among the states to then join and passed their own respective legislation with a similar July 1 effective date. I think more than 10 states had passed such a law prior to July 1. And obviously we put a lot of pressure on the NCAA as well, where it was forced into submission, changing its bylaws that had restricted these rights from athletes for so long. So I give a lot of credit to the state of Florida because that early effective date really pushed the envelope and caused us to be where we are today.
0: To non-Americans, the interest below the professional leagues at college level can be both foreign and phenomenal. So then, it can be even more amazing when one looks at the interest in high school sport, somewhat a result of the many basketball stars that skipped college and went straight to the NBA, highlighting the quality of the athlete that can be found even at high school level. Perhaps most famously... LeBron James. Despite the rule changes since 2005 making that move a little more difficult than it used to be, and why we see the likes of Lamelo Ball and RJ Hampton playing professionally in Australia to satisfy the one-year-removed-from-high-school rule, these kinds of high school athletes in the US are earmarked early on for greatness. They can have substantial profiles and social media presence that could, if allowed, be commercially utilised. I wanted to run this name, image and likeness topic by Darren, in relation to high school athletes?
1: Yeah, so there's a lot of questions currently about whether or not these NIL rights trickle down to high school athletes. Uh, And it really depends on what the laws and respective rules are state by state. So the NCAA has said, we are not willing to provide our opinion on this subject as to whether or not high school athletes can benefit from their names, images, and likenesses we defer to the respective states. And so if you look like a, at a state like Texas, it's NIL law explicitly sets forth that high school athletes cannot benefit from their names, images, and likenesses. They cannot enter into deals with third parties on that particular subject. The state of Florida does not have a law, but the FHSAA, the association that governs high school athletics in the state of Florida has an existing bylaw that seems to also prevent high school athletes from participating in these types of deals. I have asked the FHSAA for additional clarity, given that obviously the landscape has changed since July 1. I have not heard back, but it's very important for athletes across the country, high school athletes, to look at their respective state laws, look at their respective high school association bylaws to make a determination as to whether or not they should be embarking in this type of uh, offering. And the last thing they should do, obviously, is jeopardize their ability to participate.
0: For some, these are very new and headline events, but much has gone into acquiring these rights for college athletes. We've all heard the adage, it takes years to become an overnight success. I asked Darren, who has been heavily involved for a significant period of time, what he envisages for this space into the future starts by noting that despite recent events, there are still restrictions in place.
1: There are regulations and restrictions in place state by state. You'd have to look at the individual state laws as well as the respective school policies. It's not as though it's a complete free market, but it's getting pretty close to it. I think we're going to continue to see massive deals be reached. I think you're going to see more and more large brands feel comfortable with getting involved. And I think that's a byproduct of some of the early deals. I was fortunate enough to be part of the deals between the Cavender twins, Haley and Hannah of Fresno State, and Boost Mobile, Six Star Pro Nutrition, and GoPuff, which they did a tremendous job with. And I think that will pro- provide a lot of comfort to other brands that have been sitting on the sidelines waiting to see how this plays out. I mean, just now uh, there's an announcement announcement that one of my clients is willing to offer more than $500,000 to roughly 90 athletes, uh, football players at the University of Miami on a year long deal for each of them in exchange for promotion. So we're starting to see bigger brands and bigger offers trickle in. And I think that will only continue as we start to distance ourselves from July 1.
0: After the break, we hear from Chris Cabot about the commercial implications of the new ruling surrounding NIL. So what's happened since the developments that Darren just ran us through? Well, as short-priced favourite to win the 2021 Heisman Trophy and to be the top pick in next year's NFL draft, Spencer Rattler was quick to pounce. Rattler expressed his excitement for the changes in a statement where he unveiled his brand logo. Additionally, Rattler announced his first partnership with Cameo, an online service for hiring public figures to create personalised videos. He also announced that he had signed with Steinberg Sports for NIL representation, the agency to which my next guest, Chris Cabot, is the CEO. Other athletes like Graham Mertz, quarterback for the Wisconsin Badgers, announced the launch of their own brands. Arkansas wide receiver Trey Knox became the first college athlete to sign a deal with PetSmart. Knox is a Siberian Husky named Blue, and the pair draw an impressive following on social media. Knox said of the deal, I have always been proud to be a student athlete and an Arkansas football player, but I am just as proud to be a dog dad to Blue. It was a clear fit to work alongside PetSmart in this game-changing opportunity, showcasing my love of Blue and how PetSmart fills all her needs. Darren Heitner, who you heard earlier in the show, mentioned his role in the Cavender Twins deal with Boost Mobile. Boost CEO Stephen Stokels told ESPN that the company has a list of 400 college athletes it hopes to partner with in the future. Stokels explained that the Cavenders will be part of a national advertising campaign, but made a particular point about the ways in which college athletes draw attention on a local level. The ESPN article mentions that these deals in the future may range from annual contracts worth large sums of money, to in-kind deals where Boost provides athletes with phones and service plans in exchange for promotion. Stokel said, a lot of these guys are local heroes. We think it's a big opportunity to get regional and local with relevant names in those markets. We want to be one of the biggest companies embracing the college athlete marketplace early. We hope to play a role in helping to shape it. I spoke to Chris Cabot about the implications of these recent changes for college athletes and agencies alike. Chris begins by giving us some insight into the landscape
2: prior and onto to how it is now. It was pretty cut and dry. The athletes did not have those rights. They did not have the right to monetize their name, image, or likeness. And they did not have the right to have representation in that process. And obviously, the agents didn't have the ability to sign those athletes as clients. So state law states passed laws that in a number of states gave the ability for collegiate athletes to monetize their name, image, and likeness. There were a handful of states that, that adopted those laws. There were a handful of states were on the fence. And then, obviously, there was the Supreme Court case that said that it was legal, it was constitutional. And on the heels of that precedent, the NCAA worked with various states and essentially passed sweeping rules that athletes could indeed, in all states, monetize their name, image, and likeness now, there are still some states that have certain rules and regulations that are state law driven, and that trickles down to the schools themselves. And some of the schools have their own rules and regulations. So, for example, University of Arkansas says that an athlete the University of Arkansas cannot monetize their name, image, and likeness using the colors of the university. So you can't use those colors. Other states don't have an issue with it. It just varies school by school. And what I think that means for folks that represent talent like us and do marketing and do endorsements is you better make sure that you spend time with the school, with compliance, getting your head wrapped around the laws, the rules, the regulations. Because at the end of the day, the last thing you want to do is put an athlete in a position to be ineligible. You know, for so many of these athletes, much like it is in the NFL, The off the field is a supplement or ice cream on the cake or addition to the on the field. And you have to keep the main thing, the main thing. And for collegiate athletes, that's maintaining eligibility, maintaining participation in academics in order to graduate and doing a nice job with the athletic side of things so they can graduate to the next level and play professionally.
0: One of the many gripes of former college athletes related to this issue Is that despite playing in sold out arenas and stadiums and in broadcasted games they were never allowed the opportunity to commercialize some of those college athlete stars never made it professionally i wanted to ask chris what he was seeing at the moment in terms of opportunities and he provides some valuable insights on what these changes have brought about from a commercial standpoint
2: i'll tell you what we've seen so far in the landscape Obviously we treat this similar to how we treat when an athlete comes out for the NFL draft and we're doing that marketing, you're going to have memorabilia opportunities. You're going to have trading card opportunities. You're going to have some brands that are looking to work with folks in that space. What I've seen a lot of is there are a number of, of businesses that are built in the social media ecosystem. And obviously for so many of these young people in collegiate athletics They've got a lot of social currency. So I'm seeing a lot of traction with some of these, I want to call them social brands. that want to interact with social media and why not? It makes a ton of sense. So there's a lot of that. That's less of your traditional large box brand partners or large box corporate sponsors of schools or institutions or things like that. But it is a unique trend and you're seeing more of those opportunities maybe for some of the athletes that may not have, you know, would receive the larger opportunity. There are about 10 players in the NFL that receive large brand partnerships. There are probably about five in college football right now that could receive that. But for many, we've got the ability to have a swipe up link with a promo code, things like that. And that's an opportunity that guys may not receive. Otherwise, there are a couple of athletes that I've noticed in the NIL space are being very aggressive, very bullish, Frankly, I think they realize that come the time they leave college, they probably will not play professionally or they'll play in a very limited role. And the time to seize this opportunity is now. So, you know, kudos to folks being aggressive and and playing their own seats. I think it's nice to see guys have the opportunity to monetize their name, image and likeness, obviously, for student athletes, the product they put on the field helps generate eight to nine figures of revenue for a lot of these large affinity schools. And while the players aren't directly sharing in that, at least they're having a chance to, to monetize things off the field that the folks that are paying so much money in food and beverage and tickets and merchandise that obviously support, obviously are, are consumers. It's nice to see the ability to participate in a fraction of that revenue through their own initiatives, as opposed to not have the right to do it at all.
0: Given this space is in its infancy and the deals are, in a sense, all test cases, I ask Chris what he envisages for the future of NIL and college sports.
2: I think this space is water. There's, there's always the Bruce Lee saying of, of be water or be like water. And what does that mean? Well, water levels, water entering any space eventually comes to a level. And obviously, right now, people have said the Wild West, NIL and things like that, I think eventually the space will reach a level and for certain athletes, it's going to become the realization of there's a degree of deals to be made for others. It's not going to be as much, but for all it's an opportunity. And I I think with opportunity comes innovation. I think with innovation, you know, comes enhancement. So I'm excited for the future of, of college athletics and athletes being able to monetize their name, image, and likeness And I think also, too, there's going to be some leveling of legislature. I think you'll start to see a lot of states kind of follow each other. We've seen in the past that the National Council of Commissioners on Uniform State Laws has come up with uniform laws like the Uniform Athletes Agent Act, things like that, that have been adopted and widespread throughout the United States. And I think you'll start to see a lot of those uniform laws go into place so that essentially throughout the states, things are pretty even, because if they're not, I mean, think about this. If you're at the University of Arkansas, University of Arkansas says, well, you can't use our colors to promote name, image, and likeness. Well, attachment to those colors for a sport that wears a helmet is probably the greatest identifying item. Showing an Arkansas University of Arkansas athlete red and white is far more identifying than showing the athlete in maroon and black. So if you have to go outside the color wave, well then are you really able to Effectively promote your your likeness, promote your image that ultimately will become a recruiting detriment, I believe when schools are in someone's living room saying, "Hey, you know we know you're looking at this school and that school and us. Here are our NIL rules. Here are their HanIL rules. you have the ability to do more with us than with them, and that starts to become a real advantage, obviously. Schools won't like that. Athletic departments won't like that. Conferences won't like that. The NCAA won't like that. Legislatures won't like that. So I think you'll start to see some uniform sweeping legislation. I'd like to say it's an exciting new era. And best of luck to all the young men and women that are taking advantage of this opportunity. One thing for them to remember, you have to pay taxes. So make sure that you're consulting financial advisors. Make sure you're consulting accountants, things like that. In order, to, in order to take advantage of this. Because at the end of the day, you don't want to owe the IRS, the IRS always wins.
0: So who is this of interest to? Well, beyond the athletes that were unable to monetize before, and the agencies now able to represent college athletes and create opportunities for them. If you're a brand looking to move into and capitalize on young athlete profile and social media presence, the opportunity has never been greater. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Sportonomic. Make sure you find the show, follow and subscribe on your favourite podcast app. Tune in next episode where I cover blockchain, crypto and NFTs in sport. Thank you to our sponsors, Athlon Partners. You can find further detail at www.athlonpartners.com. And thanks to our producer, Dan McHugh. If you'd like to get in touch, you can find me on Twitter at Reece Lenarduzzi. Sportonomic is an afternoon sport group production.